Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 291, Interview with Paul Weimer, Anti-Sad Puppies. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. Today, we are joined by Paul Weimer of the Skiffy and Fanty podcast and SF Signal fame. This will be our final show dedicated to the sad puppies, or full episode anyway, dedicated to the sad puppies and Hugo discussion But I'm sure Christy and I will provide updates and some commentary from time to time and even involve some of our guests if there are any noteworthy developments along the way as as we reach the award season over the summer and coming up into the into the fall. A lot of the departure has to do with the noteworthy items that are taking place and genre and a lot of books, obviously, we want to focus on and other other media outlets that are taking place. You know, things such as the passing of Sir Terry Pratchett shouldn't be left ignored or have things not said about those milestones within within the industry. And while we may not provide a ton of commentary on it, much has been said, and we'll certainly link to some of the tributes in the show notes over the, the next couple episodes. And after all, as you'll get a preview of some of Paul's discussion with him being our next guest, he's going to say this is ultimately a very small award, the Hugo Award. So we should depart now after we've done a couple episodes tied to this discussion and move on to some other relevant topics in genre. This episode is about an hour, and we felt that was important to get into some depth of the discussion the last couple episodes, but we're going to commit to bringing these next several episodes to you in a more commute-friendly length. So you you should look forward to to having those be more of around the 45-minute mark as opposed to the hour to the hour 15-minute discussions. This episode is brought to you by Edge of Dark by Brenda Cooper. What if a society banished its worst nightmare to the far edge of the solar system? destined to sip only dregs of light and struggle for the barest living. And yet, that life thrived. It grew and learned and became far more than you ever expected. And it wanted to return to the sun. What if it didn't share your moral compass in any way? The Glittering Edge duology describes the clash of forces when an advanced society that has filled the solar system with flesh and blood, life, meets the near AIs that it banished long ago. This is a story of love for the wild and natural life on a colony planet, complex adventures set in powerful space stations, and the desire to live completely, whether you are made of flesh and bone or silicon and carbon fiber. In Edge of Dark, meet Ranger Charlie Windar and his adopted wild predator and explore their home on a planet that has been raped and restored more than once. Meet Nona Hall, 
child of power and privilege from the greatest station in the system, the Diamond Deep. Meet Nona's best friend, a young woman named Crystal, who awakens in a robotic body. To learn more about The Edge of Dark, come to the show notes, episode 291, and click on the image that you will see from Edge of Dark by Brenda Cooper. In fact, we're giving away a copy of Edge of Dark, U.S. residents only, and to enter, either email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com with your name and email address and a physical address, or share a tweet or Facebook post about episode 291. Make sure to tag us, folks, so we can receive and acknowledge that you've shared this tweet or Facebook post. But either share a tweet or Facebook post about episode 291, tagging us for a double entry. Well, with that, let us jump into our interview with Paul Weimer. So an episode or two ago, we had Larry Coria and Brad Torgerson on the show to talk about the Hugo controversy in the Sad Puppies campaign. Though the 2015, by the time this drops anyway, by the time the nomination deadline has come and gone, this is still a relevant topic, obviously, because the Hugo Awards themselves will be in the voting period. And the controversy will likely continue and the discussion will likely continue through the voting period, certainly after the the nomination period is over. Yeah. And for for listeners out there, the point of the Hugo series that Brent and I are doing is all about encouraging discussion and discourse on relevant topics that come up in publishing. Traditionally, there we, we see a lot of mudslinging, but we don't necessarily talk about the different different opinions that come up. And so the Hugos are kind of at the top of that list. So today, we are very lucky to have Paul Weimer of Skiffy and Fanti and SF Signal podcast fame joining us. And he's going to hop in on the Hugos and Sad Puppies discussion. So Paul, huge thank you for coming and agreeing to uh, jump into the, the, the Hugo fray. First, for those listeners out there who aren't familiar with your work, how about telling us a bit about yourself and what it is you do in the sci-fi community? Okay, well, thank you for having me. I've been listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing since about episode 120 or so, the e- Ian Tregellis episode. Mm-hmm. That so, was one of my inaugural episodes. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I kind of remember them by what you were plugging at the time when you were plugging uh, Luis Marley's book at the time, as I recall. Okay, so, yeah, sure. So, so as I had to go back, I was like, okay, that's where I started. So... Anyway, my name, my name, my name is Paul Weimer. Although some people call me Weimer, that's that's <laughs> fine. I, I get I get all sorts of pronunciations today. Sorry, Christy, I couldn't resist. Hey, no worries. I, I've been a science fiction and fantasy blogger and reviewer for a number of years. In about about 2010, 2011, I came to prominence at a number of sites, including SF Signal, the Functional Nerds, and I soon got into podcasting on the SF Signal podcast and wound up starting guesting in other places on the Functional Nerds podcast, on SSF Audio, which I'm still on relatively weekly. And a couple of years ago, Sean, Sean's major co-host had to step, mostly step away. So he needed a new major co-host. And so, well, he drafted me and I said, sure. So that's how I got into Skiffy and Fanthe. And so I've been doing podcasting and blogging and I have 
one published story out there in in one anthology. I I, I basically do the nonfiction side, although I I'm very interested in the fictional side. I'm also a photographer. You'll find me at conventions. I like to take pictures. That's basically what I do. And I also, of course, I'm famous for commenting on blogs and tweeting and retweeting and discussing on Twitter. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of one of the central one of the water coolers of the science fiction community. I guess for for full disclosure too, I I should probably mention that. Paul and Paul and Sean at Skiffy and Fanti had me on a few weeks back uh, when Owl in the Japanese Circus came out. So, but yeah, no, you you guys you guys interview a lot of new authors and review a lot of new authors as well. We 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 like to bring in new voices. I mean, we we have our favorites, but we like to bring in new voices, hear new things. This year at Skiffy and Fanti, we're focusing mainly on women authors and non-binary authors. So that's. Why you were perfect fit, a new debut. <laughs> we wanted to see what you had. So, yeah. That's cool. not, and we, it was a pleasure to have you. <laughs> Excellent. And, uh, so, who are some of your other partners in crime at Skiffy and Fanny? Okay. So, Jen Zink is Sean's original co host. She's not on very many episodes, but you'll see her coming up now and again. We also have Mike Underwood, who works, who works for Angry Robot and is a writer in his own right. We have David Annandale, who is a teacher and he writes Warhammer 40k fiction. We also have Julia Rios, who does a lot, of, who does some podcasting of her own. She also does some editing and and other other things, especially for the Outer Alliance. She does stuff with Elisa Krasnostein down of Galactic Suburbia, and Rachel Axe, who is a is a writer and a geologist. Oh, and oh yes, and Stina and Light, Light, who, yeah. who is who's a writer, although she hasn't had the time to be on the show as much lately anyway. So we have a quite a motley crew of people who <laughs> circulate in and out and come in on episodes. Sometimes we just have so many people we can't ha- – we have to put a limit on who wants in and have to cap it once we reach the limit so we just don't have eight people on an episode and have Skype drop dead on. Yeah, I was wondering. that. That's a, a challenge to manage with that many folks. Julie and I are actually – classmates from Bible Paradise. So oh, we, yeah. Yeah, we know each other quite well. And I have one of her chat books sitting up that I just, that I adore sitting up in my office, actually. So, yeah, it, it was, I uh, wanted to give a little plug to your, to your other partners in crime out at the out at the show. So we obviously had you on to, to talk about the Sad Puppies campaign. And an episode or two ago, we had Brad Larry on to talk about it. And their goal and one of the main topics they expressed during the discussion was this notion that commercial works, they feel like have been slighted or there's been this perceived political bias, not only against Larry's original positing was that it was against right wing writers. And that's how he internalized it. But they've really expand or what we heard from the discussion was they've kind of expanded that to under other underrepresented um, works, and they've included commercial fiction in, in that as well. And one of the reasons why we decided to have you on is Christy and I both read some of your blogs on the subject and wanted to know what you thought about in a probably at a summary level, and then we'll certainly dive deep. What you what you think about their effort and their goals? Well, I'm going to have to divide the sad puppy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, 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 and thankfully, in some ways, they've also 
in some ways kind of undergo a little bit of fission themselves. You do have the sad puppies, which is Brad and and Larry as the as the main center points, and then you have Mr. Theodore Beale, aka Box Day, and his quote unquote rabbit puppies. And I think I think what a lot of the problem from last year and from this year is was the was the uniting of these forces. I mean, they call themselves the International League of Evil, but I'm I'm not here to uh, to talk about the politics of Ox Day, but to just focus on the sad puppies and what they do. I mean, ostensibly from what what they state their goals are, they I mean they 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 make points that it's true that some. Some damn fine authors have never gotten a Hugo nomination to save their life, mm-hmm. be it commercial mm-hmm. or be, be it commercial or not. Why this is that goes into what the Hugos are and what they're really for, and who nominates them and who doesn't, and why that's the case. So, so jumping onto that, who are the Hugo Awards for, and what kind of works? You know, sort of in in your mind, what kind of works should be getting recognized? on the Hugo nominations and, and, and a balance. The Hugos seem to want to represent all science fiction fandom. That's their, that's why they get wind up being put on the covers of books. Hugo nominee, Hugo winner. The actual pool of actual nominee nominators and voters is rather small because it's basically, it's basically the, the science fiction convention of that year. So at the very least, you can say it's the, the Hugo voters are the people who are interested enough in science fiction fandom to be part of that nominating convention. But what they've become and what cachet they've gotten is to represent science fiction as a whole. And I can see why the sad puppies are rebelling against that because they're pointing out that it, it says quite rightly that that's only a small part of everybody who reads or consumes science fiction as a whole. But it's, it's almost just jumping off from, from what you said, it's, it's almost like, it, it sounds a bit like it's almost like an actor's guild style award where it's peers nominating, nominating uh, peers as in writers, nominating other writers versus the entire sci-fi community. Do you think that's, that's accurate or am I reaching a bit? I, I think you're reaching a bit. The nebulas are explicitly peers nominating peers. And mm-hmm. peers voting for peers. The Hugos are a self-selecting slice of science fiction fandom who are who are nominating and voting on these things. Which is why you get things like people with forty-five Hugo awards and nominations, as as I, I think it was Larry who pointed out. I think he was talking about Michael Iyer of File Seven Seventy. In in that. So you you do wind up with years and years of things like locust winning year after year after year after year, or or just because of the politics of things, like say Stephen Silver who got not, who's been nominated like twenty times for best fan writer never won, much to his eternal chagrin, or stuff that I mean stuff that's hugely popular just never getting anywhere near a Hugo ballot because the selection of science fiction fandom that votes on it doesn't consider that to be science fiction for purposes of either it doesn't fit their politics, perhaps. I won't deny that, or they just don't see that as what science fiction is or what should be. Their, their point about tie-in fiction is a point. I, tie-in fiction has never come anywhere near a Hugo ballot 
except for last year when the sad puppies pushed one on. On the other hand, an active an active fan, an active minority within the Hugo voting can can change the res, results or change what gets nominated rather radically. And, and the sad puppies are not the first people to actually have come across this secret formula. Back in 1987, the two of you are familiar with L. Ron Hubbard, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, after his death, I mean, he was in the middle of writing uh, a 10-volume series, the Mission Earth series. After his death, it, the fans of L. Ron Hubbard decided that his work needed to be recognized, so they managed to buy means of buying a bunch of memberships to get one of the Mission Earth novels onto the Hugo ballot. It so they blocked, they blocked, vote, they blocked, voted it or nominated it on. Huh? Yes, they did. It wound up and it wound up being blown no, no award in the final voting because everyone else thought this was bullshit. So, so that's, told, that's not against the rules either, is it? To block vote like that. Or is it? Or is it grayer? It, it is a grayer. And this gets to a whole other problem of, of nominating slates and, and setting up, setting up people, what you think you should vote, and having people follow that. And and here's where I get a little squeaked. I see lots of people putting up, this is what I'm nominating, this yeah. is what I'm nominating. And then, I mean, not just the sad puppies by any stretch of the uh, imagination, and you get people who wind up copying and and just vote voting that way because of, even if they've never come anywhere near reading any of those works, they're like, okay, I trust Scalzi's Galsy's opinions, although he's really stopped doing this. I'm just using him as an example. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll go put nominate those because I don't know who else to nominate. And if you have an active insurgency who want to change voting patterns, and even, even, even with all their disclaimers of this is not a nominating slate, that's what it turns out to be in, in practice because people – I can't read inside their minds, don't know what they're reading, but I'm sure not everybody who's going to nominate a slate or even nominate what they nominate or read everything on there. It's You can't stop it, but I don't know how you change that. I mean, you, I suppose if you looked at the ballots and saw a pattern of the exact same ballots, you could do something about it, but it's really awful hard to prove. Yeah, it's in, that, that concept is really interesting. And because of this discussion, one of the things I've been really doing is looking at a lot of the different nomination slates or recommendations that you've mentioned. And a couple of them I tweeted out through, you know, either the show's Twitter account or my own personal account. So, and I imagine you have a lot of movement around individuals that certainly would fit the category of genre bullhorn. So, I mean, you had George R. R. Martin yesterday blogging his recommendations. And everybody saw those. Yeah, yeah. everybody. Yeah. everybody. <laughs> right. And the other one that, but one of the the best things I saw yesterday was actually from S.A. Corey, and I think I retweeted it as well, which is make sure you've read the read the work. Just don't just don't nominate what you've heard about. Yeah, I retweeted that too. Yeah, which I thought was fabulous. But what do you think about like localized communities? So one of the other interesting things I saw, and I don't know if you've ever been involved in this or have seen this, but I actually caught on to a a Bay area. So a San San Francisco, Oakland Bay area community forum where they got together and had a community discussion and then kind of presented 
all of the works that were brought together in kind of a more of a microcosm of a community as opposed to one individual. What do you uh, think about an approach like that? Is everyone going to vote that slate? Or basically is a consensus slate of a, of a voting block? I don't think it was a consensus slate. I think they were just capturing the narrative of their community and everything that was brought forth. It wasn't a voted on, but it was more okay. of they distilled the conversation and then presented every recommendation that seemed to bubble up from their community. That No, that's fine. I mean, if, if, if you got like 15 novels, 20 short stories, 10 novels, I mean, if it is like, these are what we think is best. I mean, like the Locust recommended reading list, for example, yeah. as, as an example, mm-hmm. that's fine because no one's saying nominate these five and only these five. This is what, this is what we're interested in. This is what you might want to read and then if you like nominate, it's not it's not a it's not a suggestion of a of a political ticket to uh, not to put too fine a point on it. But this whole log rolling's going on for years. There and and there's authors who are so popular that they wind up bubbling up. I mean, because of their familiar names. I mean, there are, there are some authors who have show up on on the Hugo ballot regardless of quality. This is kind of like. I mean, I know I know the set puppies brought up the, the Oscars, but that's actually in some ways a good analogy to like, okay, oh, so and so has a book. I'll nominate that. Even if I didn't read it, and that goes back to the whole point of reading then nominating, but because I want to support this author. So when you put the power into people's hands, it, they kind of do with it what they will, and sometimes it's it's not as egalitarian as it could be or should be. So, so here's, here's a question and I, it might be opening a totally different can of worms that we don't want to, but what I know other awards are juried. So the nominations Uh are done by a selected jury. Do you think that's something that, you know, the Hugo should maybe consider heading in that direction since we've now got this kind of idea of, you know, blocks or individuals, not any one party, not any one, you know, individual group or author, but just this idea of, of popular, popular influence. Do you think maybe it needs to go in a jury direction? It could. That would be a, I could see how you could have the voting committee for any particular Worldcon be basically come up with a jury of nominees and then have then have the then have the voting membership of that of that worldcon vote on those nominees juries are not a one size fits all cure for the simple reason i i think it was the bsfa a couple of years ago there was a juried award it was in britain and the not and the relatively uh pallid nature of the nominees and the the vast overlooking of some of some names got a lot of backlash in Britain. Like, how did how did they pick those five? And and the, and the jurors had to go to, try to defend their defend their picks, which I thought was rather interesting. So, how do you pick a jury? Does the jury jury pick them and then the and the people vote on them? Or does the jury just select a group and then come up with a winner? I wouldn't mind it. I mean, we don't need any more awards, although science fiction does love to does love to award itself. Right? So I don't, 
it's it's true. It's just like you you, you turn around, and it's another award. Okay, if it's not the Hugo's, it's the Nebulas. If it's not the Nebulas, the BSFA. It's not that. It's the Orioles. It's not that. It's it's something else. He's just like, wait, what, 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 what? Paul, I I think you're onto something. I I think what we're we're approaching this the entirely entirely the wrong way. So instead of the Hugo's being the quintessential award, what we need to do is elevate all of the other awards, kind of like the Golden Globes, now are almost the equivalent of the Oscars. And then by the time it's all said and done, we could spread the love around to where everybody's happy. And then nobody's upset anymore. Exactly. Because, you know, you haven't missed that one and only shot. It's a very socialist approach to awarding. That, that's a very socialist <laughs> approach to awarding. <laughs> It, but it is rather rare for books to hit all those awards. I mean, Anne Leckie's Ancillary Justice last year did sort of sweep everything. I mean, that's relatively uncommon. Even these days, it's more common than it used to be, but it's relatively uncommon for something to hit the Locust, not the, well, the Locust, the Nebula, and the Hugo all in the same year. It's just... So there, it, that does provide some diversity, but the Hugos are the ones that get the name, the one that gets put on on the book covers for those who still have physical books. And that's why I think the said puppies are agitating to change the demographics of who votes in the awards and what gets, and therefore what gets nominated as a result. And uh, this, this might be jumping a whole nother set of worms, but in my opinion, I think part of the problem is that the Hugo pool of nominators and voters is too small. For what, it, for what it's, for it, not what it states, for what it is for fandom, it is a too small of a group of, as opposed to the population of, of science fiction readers. It's an interesting comment that you make, Paul. Just, I, I remember the very first time I ever looked at, um, I, I got to nominate stuff for a, uh, for a Hugo, the Hugo Awards a few years back now, but I was all excited and I was doing the short form the short form film, I was looking and I'm like, okay, I need to come up with some TV episodes to put on my, my nomination ballot. And so I went through, I tried to go through all the stuff that had come out that year. And it was great because I got to see all these fantastic sci-fi and fantasy shows that I never would have watched otherwise. And then I remember the ballot came out and there was about five episodes of, I, I think the short film was about four, four or five episodes of Doctor Who. All the different <laughs> individual episodes. And I sort of sat there and I went, I, I, I just, I remember trying to figure out how that had happened. But, you know, it, it sounds like just the way that the voting works and the way that the community works, that's not an, an, that's not an uncommon or unforeseen outcome. Yeah, for, for a while the joke was that the short form was basically the Doctor Who award. That sort of <laughs> moved away a bit with games with the phones and a couple other things. And I remember some agitation, like, vote for something other than Doctor Who. There are other things out there. And it's very, it's, it's, again, it's easy to fall into that habits and patterns. Like, okay, I'll just nominate some Doctor Who episodes this year and not seek that out. That's, that's intellectual laziness on the part, on the part of the, of the, of the nominators. Like, okay. I've liked Doctor Who, so I'll put these episodes on. Even if this uh, this wasn't a great one, so I'll nominate it anyway. It's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and you talked earlier. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back to the controversy a little bit because, sure. As we've been discussing this, a lot of the things you've talked about, obviously, you've identified issues within 
maybe not fandom, but the away fandom awards what should be what we view are the representative works. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of my interview with Scott Lynch that he, he says all of this is a joke anyway, and time will ultimately be the judge of uh, what the representative works will be. Because I remember we had a good discussion about Arthur Conan Doyle and what at the, their time was a representative work, and then we're, we're left with Sherlock Holmes, you know, being the, the representative works. But as we're talking about this, you don't seem to be that far off of some of the arguments that from an issue standpoint, at least I'm hearing from what Larry and and Brad have been discussing from the standpoint of fa- at least the fandom that votes on the Hugos being a bit insular. And that's a word I've been using to describe that. I- am I characterizing that correctly? Have I heard you correctly in that regard? Or uh, Yes, I, w- I, was, I would say yes, that the, the, the fandom that votes on the Hugos is a small part of of the readership and and not even the wider giant sphere of science fiction fandom even even the even the amount of just regular readers of of novels even that the 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 hugo uh, voters are a small small part of that and that can lead to and, and if they if they all happen to be mostly of a particular political stripe then then you get what's perceived by uh, the sad puppies as being a political bias. Is it a conscious political bias? I don't know. It's, I can't look inside people's heads, but in, in general, a lot of the year in year out, people who nominate and vote on the Hugos are more politically to the left than Brad and Larry. And they tend to go more towards literary Okay, literary is a very bad word. <laughs> uh, not even commercial because some stuff's really popular. They, they, they go for a particular brand of science. You can really see this in short stories where you get a lot of a lot of experimental short stories wind up being bubbling to the top and certain authors like, say, Kid Johnson and, and get nominated again and again or Ted Chang or or others, whereas, whereas the work of, of, say, a Brad Torgensen or – or tie-in fiction or anything else gets gets ignored because that's what the the voters are the voters aren't reading it or if they're reading it they're not thinking that it's award worthy because they've taken risk in either form or subject matter or, right. or the like and that and, and that risk that risk may be being rewarded yeah absolutely the I, I didn't want to put words in your mouth that's why I wanted to clarify there may be some baseline agreement on some things at least from the standpoint of some of the issues with the Hugos and the voting block, at least from the fan portion of it. So where, where is sad puppies going? Where are they going wrong in your point of view? Then? Well, it, here we go again. I can't read into their minds, but I, I read between the lines of some of their other blog posts. And it's clear that to me, and they can dispute this and say I'm wrong. They, they certainly have done that before that, that their motivations and what they want to nominate often seems to be just for the sake of the poke in the eye rather than on literary merit. Like, then then that's where this whole box day comes in. And it's just like, it's just like, we'll really show, we'll really show the leftists. We'll nominate box day on the, on the ballot. And that, that will stick it to them. Good. And 
that's that's just as bad as nominating a half dozen Doctor Who episodes just because that's all you that's all you can think of nominating. <laughs> it, it's 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 the other side of the coin. Like okay, we, we we're gonna stick it to you. We're gonna nominate all these. We're gonna have all these authors that you hate, and we're gonna put it on there and make the Hugos either either a joke or prove a political point. My guess, I mean, they don't reveal. The international evil group doesn't reveal any of their evil plans, but my suspicion is what they what they would really like, and given the given that they've increased the size of the ballot from last year, is that if they could manage to, and it would be entirely within the rules to get all their works on a on a particular category, have all those be the nominating nominated works, then Hugo fandom at large is faced with either naming one of them as a winner or putting them all below no award. And either of those outcomes would be something the sad puppies could point at and say, look, 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 look what you're doing. It's a way of gaming the system in a way that has been gamed before, as we pointed out, but they're in this age of the internet and organized fandom online, it's more open source and more visible to see what's being done. I mean, I mean, I had not realized that this, for example, this Bay Area thing had been had percolating recommendations to the surface, but that that doesn't surprise me. It's, it's a lot more of a transparent world in some ways, and the sad puppies are proving that an act, that a and an active group can enter into the Hugo process and change it. Is that a good thing or not? It depends on what ends that you're putting that change to. Yeah, in the in the approach, or yeah. are you just are we being hyperbolic to just to poke folks and right in the eye for the sake of change, or it's, it's, yeah, are there le- legitimate works being entered onto the ballot to while incorporating change? Well, well, yeah, like, like Charles Gannon, for example, is one of the one of the authors they mentioned on their slate, and I have I have no problem with him being being Hugo nominee. He's actually on my ballot. I. I don't talk a lot about what was on my ballot, but as this is being recorded with only a couple hours left, I'll I'll reveal. <laughs> I will reveal I put it's on safe. My it's safe. I'm not turning this dude around tonight. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, 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 because I, I purposely did not put up my slate for the reason that I didn't want people to copy me. I mean, I, I mentioned some things that here and there on Twitter that I thought people should be aware of. There, there are works that, especially like in best related work, that I thought people might want to take, check, check out. But a whole nominating slate, I thought that would just be copying copying the said puppies and everyone else. And while I don't have a legion of people who are going to follow my nominations, I just, just it just didn't feel right to give people that chance of just going copy pasta on me. But, the, but as I was saying, so like an author like, say, Charles Gannon, I have no problem, I have no problem with him being on there's like that's that's fine and dandy. I mean, if if you're going for authors who are little legitimately not getting the recognition that you think should be represented, then well, nominating them is the way to go about that. But doing if if you're doing it just to make just to score a political point or for for an agenda, that's a completely different kettle of fish. I mean, this this happens in all sorts of words like. Oscars, for example, the whole idea of giving 
I'll give the classic example, Al Pacino winning a Best Actor Award for Sense of a Woman. It wasn't for that movie. It was for his body of work, and they had never nominated him before. Yeah. Yeah. So the, this is fortunately the nature of awards, and this is each the nature of juried awards. There's no pure meritocracy, and sometimes the sausage making is very ugly indeed, and the sad puppies have <laughs> kind of opened up the door to show just how the sausage gets made, and people are particularly freaking out. Coming up from the, the Bay Area thing that uh, you were talking about, Brent, and this idea of, you know, slights that we've been talking about, even from an innocent standpoint, it almost is like it's almost a logical progression from having fan groups on the Internet. You know, your first year you nominate something and or you, you put your nominations on a ballot and you don't see your stuff on the, the ballot. And so then you start talking to your friends. Hey, what, what did you this year, you know, what do you think is going to get on the ballot? So you can see it coming from a very innocent place as well. But it it sounds like not not to put well, not well not to put words in anyone's mouth. But it's almost like the issue with the sad puppies is the shit disturbing aspect. The the rabble rousing, yeah, I, I think they yeah rabble rousing. Yeah, and, and given some of the the tones and the and the uh, nature of their just their day to day posts, I think that is a feature, not a bug for them. If they if they if they can make science fiction pay attention to their to what they do then that's that's a win in their book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they did it all behind the scenes and just an email and then just and then it suddenly appeared it wouldn't have, have be quite the effect so of course we got to put it on the blogs and have have the leftists see it and leftists freak out and oh god what are we going to do and that's a feature not a bug in their eyes from what i see and what i read they want to disturb. They want to agitate. How, with the Vox Day thing, how do you think, do you, do you think the campaign would have looked different, the Sad Puppies campaign, do you think it would have looked different if they had never, or how it might have looked differently is maybe a better way, better way to question, um, but if they'd never included Vox Day on the ballot last year or on their slate last year? Or, or I had not reached out for Atom, I I honestly wish they had never had. I mean, I I might be more sympathetic to to them if they hadn't gone anywhere near him because I have a very very strong visceral dislike for him because of what he's written and what he has said. I I I think they would be more sympathetic, and their their protestations this year that they are trying to nominate the best wouldn't come off quite. So we wouldn't be. I don't think fandom as a whole would be so skeptical of that if they hadn't engaged with them and made them part of their uh, of the penumbra of who they were nominating, who they were associating with. I mean, if it was just Brad Torgerson and Larry Correa doing this, and say John C. C. Wright, just just to plug him because he's actually a friend of mine. Then I think I don't think science fiction fandom would have gone to the freakout. I, I I think I think once you added Theodore Beale into this, that was that was the button that pressed that pressed the the five alarm uh, five alarms and uh, sent everybody into into uh, paroxysms of response. I honestly I honestly do. I it's it's kind of I know I know I'm pointing out one man, but have you read his blog? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm serious. It, it, it's just mind numbing. It's like, 
there are reasons why he quote unquote got purged from the SFFA so and is yeah. proud about that yeah. because because what he wrote is racist, sexist, and and some some countries will get you get you arrested. So yeah. So what effect? Because he's been such a lightning rod. A lot of the debate around the campaign has been this notion of just getting. Are they getting crap on the ballot versus quality? This this notion of quality, mm-hmm. and what effect do you think he he has had on that discussion of crap versus quality? I mean, has he singularly influenced that that discussion, or it, was that a? Would you see that being a legitimate concern, even if he if he hadn't have been on the ballot? If he hadn't been on the ballot, if he had, if if Larry Correa and Brad Torgerson had done this separate from him, then, then the authors, I think, and the works that they were, they're talking about would be less skeptically received in fandom at large, at least by me. I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 I listen, I listened to, I listened to the conversation, the episode, a couple of those, listen to what they had to say. I've read the blogs. And on the one hand, they sometimes are saying they're poking the eye, poking at fandom, but then they say, no, we're trying to, bring legitimate work and they they mention legitimate authors they they've mentioned legitimate authors on their blog who have never gotten any love um they didn't mention uh ellie Modsit on on your podcast although there that's another great author who has never gotten anywhere near a nomination and should or jack mcdevitt for example yeah jack mcdevitt J- jack mcdevitt he's gotten he's got he's gotten a nebula win and some nominations he's never gotten a hugo nomination and i don't know why He's, I have plenty of friends who, who read his work and love his work. Why does he never get a nomination? It's a, the nominators don't see his work. It's maybe it's a case of genre blindness. Maybe that's a that's a, that's a kind way of putting that we we have our own silos and we have our own biases and some authors are getting left out. I mean, I can I can name I can I you even a goat right wing. You can go across the other. All sources for spectrum of authors who have never gotten near a Hugo nomination ballot and should, like my friend Kate Elliott, for example, mm-hmm. who's been writing writing in the field for years. Lots of epic fantasy. I've read every novel she's written, and she's gotten one Nebula nomination. And that's it, and I think that's a crime. And her her politics is about as far away from uh, said puppies as you can get. So, <laughs> so it's nice to say. I mean, if it was just politics alone, Kate would have a stack of awards. So, yeah, it's it's just like you mentioned, it may be a bias or uh, somebody's work. I'm thinking about Jack McDevitt's work, too, being a particular cup of tea. I mean, he write most of his novels anyway, when he's writing a singular novel or within the same type general subgenre. Right. In the same universe. Yeah. Yeah. In the same universe. So. Well, on the other hand, contra example, Lois McMaster Boozle, most of her novels are set in the same universe. They get nominated all the time. It's, yeah, so you it's, can't it's, make that as an argument, right? No, it's it's, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a very it's a very weird checkerboard. I mean, it's not a okay. I mean, Anne Leckie didn't get nominated because her politics were leftist and and she was doing interesting things with only th- because she was doing these things with gender programs because it was a damn fine book and because the people who were nominated glommed onto it. But it's very hit and miss. I mean. The number of fabulous authors who I read every year who never, ever have come near a Hugo about is 
as long as the day is long. Yeah, and conversely, yeah. like you said, shove some right within the same subgenre. I'm thinking of Connie Willis too. So yeah, yeah it's she, just I mean, every time something comes up, <laughs> so, yeah. Connie Willis whispers, and it's a it's got a heat of it all. Yeah, and and yeah, as, as well. Like I mean, some th- there are some you know, as, as you mentioned as well, like with authors who don't get mentioned on the Hugos, there's some commercial stuff that isn't necessarily in the fandom warehouse, but it's been incredibly popular and ends up being quite good. And for whatever reason, it's not. I, the one I always use is Ready Player One, but that's a but good I, example. Yeah. I, I tend to lean towards commercial fiction, but it's, and that's a fascinating, I, I don't know, I kind of found that one was a fascinating one because all of my friends who are not writers and not really into fandom, out of all the sci-fi books that came out that year, that was the one they read and were all talking about. So it was an important piece of fiction. So it's fascinating to see the mix that comes up. Paul, one of the, the speaking of mix and getting in the mix and some folks are reticent to do that. And that's one of the things that, that Christy and I talked with Larry and Brad was that this notion that you, you probably heard this in our discussion, this notion that there are several within the community who secretly agree with their campaign, but are scared of retaliation and, how, how would you view that concern as we're as we're having this discussion? I would actually broaden that because I had an interesting Twitter conversation just this morning with, and it's not about. I, th- I think the whole idea of retaliation, the fear of genre genre fans and clicks and and dogpiling is a real problem in this community. It's not just at the sad puppies or at anyone else because I read a read a link that Cameron Hurley had tweeted out to a blog post where the, the author criticized something at Cameron said, and she had used, a, you know what a do not link thing is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she had used that to link to Cameron Hurley's blog. And I thought, wait, wait what? I, I, I couldn't understand. And I had to explain to me, and this turned out to a little bit internet discussion with a couple of people jumping in about what the use of that's for and why, why this author who be, was afraid to link directly to Cameron Hurley's blog is because she was afraid that Cameron Hurley's fans would come to her blog and uh, dogpile her. Just berate her. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I've seen, I, I'd seen previously plenty of, plenty of blogs and, and people who would use do not link to say, link to said puppy stuff in order to criticize it. I've, I've never done that because and the way I described it on Twitter, it felt very passive aggressive to me to do it this way. But then, but then you get into things like Gamergate and dogpiling and all sorts of nasty things. And I think it's very much that fandom and tech culture in general, forget fandom, just culture in general has gotten to this very to point where you get criticism gets wind up attracting anti-criticism is almost like antibodies and you, you see this in Gamergate you see that you see this in fandom you see this of all political strikes I mean you go to a say a sad puppy blog and you see a right wing and you see someone who's not right wing there and they get they get hammered and and pounded this happened to me a couple times at Sarah Hoyt's blog and she had wound up banning me and I had commented again and she said wait a minute I thought you had banned you 
It's actually, yes. So, so I got called the unbanned. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually kind of funny. It's actually kind of, and I was perfectly, I was perfectly reasonable and trying to honest, but they weren't buying what I was selling. So you get, the, you get, you get dogpiling every which way you go and you get people then following you to your blog and raising havoc and mischief. You get people sending out all sorts of bad things out of your Twitter. It's, I think it's a, I think it's a problem of culture and fandom is just reflecting that this tendency culture for discussion and nuance to get lost in just shouting down. It's, 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 it's like the Monty Python scale people just shouting spam at each other. Yeah. It's that anonymity of the, of the internet. I know I, I'm a relatively big uh, basketball fan. So even outside of genre and people, people get pretty passionate and, We'll watch college basketball, and I know that you have college athletes that have received death threats if they don't play well. You know, so yeah. it's it's yeah, I, I understand the sentiment. Well, I don't understand why it occurs, but I understand the sentiment of broadening that to a to kind of a cultural refrain, and you know, fans are obviously pretty passionate too. Well, <laughs> consider what consider what fan is short for. Yeah, fanatic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Christy, when We've are we? It. Christy, when oh. are we starting your entourage? When are we starting my entourage? Yeah, apparently <laughs> you need one too. So why, we might as well, Paul and I'll get you drummed up, get an entourage drummed up for you here. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm seeing West Side Story. Oh no! But or we made anchor, it. You know, or Anchorman, depending on you know. <laughs> Anchorman, see Anchorman, I could go with. <laughs> Actually, that'd be fun to dress up with a group of people as a cast from Anchorman at a conference. That 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 could be a lot of fun. I don't know. Are you guys in? I it's it, it makes some good photos at least. Yes, this is a photo op. See, I won't dress. I'll just take the photos. It's but I, I think you've got a really good point, Paul. In that it's we've made it the internet. It's you know on one hand it's it's made it so much easier for fans to connect with you know with writers and actors and anybody that they would want to follow and other fans. On the other hand, we've made it incredibly easy to get drunk and start throwing punches at the bar, uh -huh. which is a, an equivalent of what you know it's an analogy for the kind of behaviors that people are engaging in every day on the internet, like Gamergate or, you know, like banning and that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's sad that you, you have a, you have a Twitter, there's a Twitter uh, bot called don't read the comments that you can describe to whoever you're tempted to read comments somewhere. It says don't read the comments. And that's just an indication of just how, how contentious online discussion has become because of that anonymity, because it's so easy to just, Type something and hit that send button. It's 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 instant on getting into the reptilian id of our of our worst impulses and not thinking and just starting starting uh, all sorts of conflict. Man is man is a very warlike animal <laughs> of any political stripe. I mean, it's just easy it's just easy to pick up the rock, and the internet's made it given everybody an infinite supply of rocks. Well, yeah, if you're hidden, too, if you're hidden in a crowd of people, you can certainly cast a stone pretty easily. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we're going to be able to change the, the sociological 
nature of the world, the nature of the world in, in our show tonight, but probably not. <laughs> but one of the things we want to ask you, because we've, we've been addressing these issues of the, of the Hugos is if, if you were to change, if you, Paul, they came to you, Paul, and said, Hey, we, we've been reading your blog. You're a wise man. We'd like to solicit some input around the, the Hugo awards. What change would you make to the Hugos? How if if I if I was given carte blanche to to just chuck out the the rules committee and change the Hugos the way I want I would I would drop the supporting membership price to a to a token amount I would advertise it far and wide and I would I would expand the voting pool as much as I possibly could with it with a large enough voting pool the the, the problems of small clicks and and the problems of having a small minority of, of fandom selecting books would go away. It would lead to, and this could be feature or bug, to a much more commercially focused award. And that has its own problems. But on the other hand, if you only have at best two, two to 3,000 people selecting an award which has by by turns become the representative of fandom, that's that's a problem because you're, you're basically saying those 3,000 3, people speak for all science fiction fandom. This is what publishers put on books and this is what people look towards. And if you're going for the popular award, you've got to go for the popular vote. And so you either got to go with a juried award or you got to expand your award or do both. You could do it that way. If the particular World Science Fiction Convention for that year that was hosting it had a jury, they they selected nominees and then the entire block votes on it. That might work, although although then how do you pick those nominees so that they are looking at a wide variety of work and can avoid their own their own blinders? Yeah, their own biases. Yeah. Their, oh. own, their own biases. And some of that bias may be just the product of time. Right, Expo- time and exposure to all of the works. Right. The thing about the thing about science fiction fandom now, as compared to say the nineteen sixties or nineteen seventies, is that there's just so much out there. There's just so much to read. There's some dozens and dozens of books being published every week. You, there's no humanly way possible to keep up with the field these days. Science fiction is huge. So, how do you try to encompass all of the field? I don't know. I know, I know. For example, that Baines started their own award now. So hmm. to look at, to for fiction that's more aligned with their goals and values. I, it, but again, that's just that's the thing. You just get award creep. You have awards for everything. You have award for best left shark in a novel award. <laughs> <laughs> You, you mentioned, you know, you've got all these works. There are all these works that are coming out now that weren't around when the Hugo Awards started. There's also other medias, media types as well. Yeah. So what do you think about video games on I, the Hugos? I, I, I am in ag- agreement, and I said so, I, I believe said so on the on my uh, the blog post that you mentioned that you read. I, I was responding to this. I probably said, yes, the set, video games should definitely be a Hugo Award because I can imagine, and it's not even a matter of politics because you know how many of my friends who are in the Hugo community play, say, Dragon Age Inquisition, that would totally get a nomination. 
Oh, that was one of my, yeah, that was awesome. Exactly. I mean, I mean, if it was, if, if video games were a category, that would, that would be hundred percent. That would get a Hugo. No doubt. So, and, and video games have, have expanded and gotten to the point where they're telling stories in interesting and unique ways or, or even say, I mean, you might be creeping a little bit on the origins folks, but you could even have best role playing game. But I mean, the the origins folks and the end world people do role playing games pretty well. But there's an awful number of people who have come out of rolling dice and rolling up characters and gone on to become writers. And or if they even if they haven't, they they certainly can tell you that Blue Dragon believes lightning because that's how everyone knows that from Dungeons and Dragons. So <laughs> so, so so there are definitely parts of science fiction fandom which are not being represented on the Hugo ballot. And the reason why is because change the Hugo ballot is, well, it makes the rules of the U S Senate seem positively fast by comparison. Cause you have to, you have to basically have to change a two years run. You basically have to get the resolution passed two years running two committees of two, uh, world cons in order to change the ballot. So, wow. so it's, it's hideously conservative. Wow. To actually change anything about the Hugos. And I think that was, that was done by design so that you couldn't change stuff. I mean, the whole fan cast thing was the reason why the fan cast became a category was because Starship Sofa won for best fanzine. And the old time fanzines, the printed ones, freaked out. It's like, we can't have this. We can't have them. We'll just give them a award of their own. And there's still debate among a slice of science fiction fandom, whether or not even blogs should be considered fanzines. I think that debate's more or less settled now, but there are, I've read a couple of fanzines where they still think that, no, they should, it shouldn't be, blogs shouldn't be fanzines. They're not fanzines. They're not printed. So the, the conservatism of the awards is partly due because of the way the rules committee and how they're set up. They, yeah. You may get one year that would certainly take a risk, but getting that successive year, yeah, again, and it's a different, and it's a different, uh, it's a different world cons with a different set of people who are on that committee. So yeah, changing any changing anything in the Hugos is nigh impossible. It can happen, but I mean, I'm people like say Seven Stanley, who was very involved with this, have laid out how you do it, and he says it can be done, but it's for all intents and purposes, it's. It's impractical, or if not impossible, unless you really, 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 really want to do it. And then you just basically got to get a majority of people to do this two years running to get to what you want. It, it almost sounds like it'd be easier to change the rules or try to change the rules than it would be to, uh, to, than in, in the long run. I mean, I mean, I know they've been talking about other awards. I know a couple of years ago, Justin Landon of, uh, JJD Esquire was, Considering change, get, starting his own award that has its own problems as all. Well. It's just the the Hugos are a tradi- conservative traditional award that the fandom that is most actively involved in it is of a political stripe that the sad puppies can't stand, and that's why we have sad puppies one, two, and three. That's basically what it comes down to. Well, Paul, you've been most gracious with your time, but I know that Christy was jonesing to ask you one final question. So, uh, 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 here it comes. 
Okay. I, so I, as you know, I, I listen to uh, the Skiffy and Fanti show and one of my favorite aspects is torture cinema. So <laughs> I was really, really hoping. And for, for those of you out there who maybe aren't familiar with the Skiffy and Fanti show and haven't had the chance to listen to torture cinema, definitely go on and check it out. It's a lot of fun. And you can always trade torture cinema notes with Paul and Sean Duke online afterwards. But I, I was hoping you would maybe give me a torture cinema summary for Sad Puppies and or the Hugos. A torture cinema summary? Yes. Okay. Sad Puppies and the Hugos on torture cinema style. Yes. Okay. Conservative happy canines yapping, yapping about a, in the end, a very small award. <laughs> that's good that is good very that's well good. done thank well, you well paul we've truly appreciated you spending the time with us and and discussing the the awards and providing your perspective and i i think we might have a better shot i mean maybe we should create our own award coming out of that after we're done working on christie's entourage we'll uh, <laughs> we'll uh, maybe create our own award how does that sound Oh, I don't know. That's, I have no idea how to start an award. Uh, well, on that note, we'll talk offline at the maybe at the bar at the Hugos this year about that. Okay, that sounds like a plan. All right, thanks for coming on. Thank thanks you so, so much. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. Music.